Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio, the original blues hockey podcast for your Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. This is Season 8, Episode 11, Franchise Episode number 197. I am your host, Jeff Ponder. Of course, the other hosts of this show, Kurt Price and Bill Day, do not join me for every summer episode, but uh, I will have a little bit more on that. So uh, stay tuned. Big thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song Fire that you hear in the open. Make sure you check them out on YouTube as well as uh, any other social media channel. Uh, they have an album coming out in uh, the fall, so don't have a date yet, but uh, they, uh, they're good stuff. Very good stuff. So uh, if you like some local music, some local rock, give them a chance. Uh, the Wild and Free. Also want to thank Tom Calhoun. For the open there, Tom does a great job. PAGuyTom.com is where you can find him on the web. Well, folks, make sure you check out the Let'sGoBlues.com shop and consider buying a shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. If you haven't checked out the shop in a while, Kurt did add some pretty cool stuff during the playoffs, uh, some Play Gloria stuff, and uh, uh, just some really neat things. So if you haven't seen it in a while... Go check it out, letsgoblues.com, and then go to the shop tab there at the top. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also listen over at letsgobluesradio.com. Also give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review if uh, you deem necessary. I feel like after I get all this early stuff out, that the show should just end, right? I mean, like... The, Seems like that's uh, that, that's enough show there, right? I mean, three minutes worth? We're good, right? No, not really. We're going to do this next segment, and this is uh, this is one I know everybody, uh, I always talk about how much I like this segment because it is fun. This is quite the special email we got this time, so uh, let's, uh, let's get right into it, huh? Let's keep the party going. So this email comes all the way from, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly, Kyoto, Japan. That's right, folks. We got an email here from Japan. And I mentioned this on Twitter when we got this email that uh, it's just it's humbling, honestly. You know, we're, we're a very local thing. You know, yeah, we, we talk about the NHL, but we're the St. Louis Blues. We're St. Louis Blues podcast. We talk about the local team. And, you know, and I talk to other podcasters from around the world. And they always talk about, you know, how it's so weird that 
They'll look at their listener downloads, and they got listeners in Germany and Australia and just random. But for us, especially, with us being a blues podcast, and I know there are blues fans all over the, the globe, but having somebody from Japan, I mean, uh, Bill said it to me when we were talking about this email. Um, this guy's outside walking his dog in Japan, listening to us talk about the St. Louis Blues. I mean, it's humbling and, and great. So this comes from Tom, and uh, Tom, thank you very much. You uh, you made all three of, of the hosts on this show. You made our day, and uh, you uh, uh, wrote this in. So thank you very much. So from Tom in Kyoto, Japan, dear Jeff and everyone at Let's Go Blues Radio, greetings from Kyoto, Japan, where I have lived for the last 21 years. I am originally from St. Louis, and I am one year older than the Blues franchise. Still young. That's the way I look at it, Tom. You're still young. The Blues winning the Stanley Cup this year was in many ways a journey of self-discovery in terms of my history as a sports fan, and more specifically, a Blues fan. It brought back memories that I had not recollected in years. So to start at the beginning, my parents had Blues season tickets for most of the 1970s. They became interested in hockey because Gary Unger was a client of my dad. Gary owned several horses, and my dad was his veterinarian. Gary came to our house for dinner and gave me an autographed stick, which we had, which he had used in a game. Needless to say, he was my favorite player and the reason I became a Blues fan. Every year for my birthday, my parents would bring me to a Blues game, and I would sit in the kids' room, which was a room literally in the rafters of the arena. You had to climb up a ladder to get in the room and could only see about a third of the rink. We would go to the game early and watch the warm-up. At the time, the Blues had a tradition of handing out pucks as they left the ice. One of the Plager brothers, maybe Bobby, handed me a puck, but another kid snatched it out of my hand. I was left in tears. However, one week later, I got my second hockey stick signed by Gary Unger. After Gary was traded, I think in 1979, my parents gave up their season tickets, and with the success of the Cardinals, Blues were not the only team in St. Louis to capture my attention. I still remained a Blues fan. Several of my memories of the 80s include listening to Mike Crombean's overtime goal against Pittsburgh in 1981 and going to the series-clinching game against the Toronto Maple Leafs in 1986, which sent the Blues to the Western Conference Final, leading to the Monday Night Miracle. Just to speed things up, my life as a Blues fan went like this. Every spring brought the playoffs, and every spring brought a first or second round loss. If I was lucky, the Blues would be playing on Mother's Day. Somewhere along the way, I didn't expect too much from the Blues. Echoing the sentiments there, Tom, I hear ya. As I mentioned before, I have lived in Japan for the last 21 years, which has made following the Blues and many other teams interesting. Games start at 9am here, usually when I am working. I teach at a Japanese university in high school. Not being able to watch games has never really bothered me because I grew up listening to great radio broadcasters like Dan Kelly and Gus Kyle then Ken Wilson, oh baby. I prefer to listen to Chris Kerber than try to watch the games on live streaming. I'm with you, uh, Tom. Big fan of Kerber here. Friend of the show, Chris Kerber. Although I couldn't experience watch parties, the parade, or even watch the games on TV, this season gave me so many wonderful, unique memories that I will remember forever. I really started following the Blues about four games into the streak. I'll listen to various podcasts, especially this one, while I walked my dog around Niho Castle here in Kyoto. It really helped me get a feel for what was going on in St. Louis. 
I was in class during the double OT game against Dallas. When I came back to my desk and checked my phone, I had a message from my mom. Blues win. I knew then that this was a special team because in the past they lose that game. There was no way I could return to St. Louis for the finals, but my mom and I gave my dad a ticket to Game 4 as a Father's Day present. My parents gave me a puck signed by Jordan Bennington. I finally got my puck. During Game 5 of the finals, I was taking the train to Osaka with my daughter. When the train pulled in, I noticed a passenger wearing a Goldschmidt jersey. I ran over and found three guys from St. Louis watching the game on their smartphone. It was 2-0 at that point. Other than Game 7, this was my best memory of the playoffs because I could finally give some high fives and say, Let's go Blues. That is cool. That's really cool. By the time Game 7 arrived, I was so emotionally drained and nervous that I waited as long as possible before I checked the score. I finally tuned into the game when it was 4-0. As Chris Kerber made the final call, I found myself jumping up and down and crying at the same time. The students on campus must have thought I was crazy. To wrap things up, as a St. Louis sports fan, I have been fortunate to experience championships in baseball and football, along with going to many sporting events like Game 7 of the 1982 World Series, Wimbledon, and the PGA Championship last year. However, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup makes them all pale in comparison. I never felt as much raw emotion and joy as I did when Chris Kerber made the final call. That moment made me realize something that I had forgotten, that before all others, I am a Blues fan. It also reminded me why I love sports, not just for the game, but for the memories they create, and those memories, good and bad, become part of the fabric of my life. This season was the best, and all those memories mentioned above, including listening to your podcast, will never be forgotten. Thanks, Jeff, and let's go Blues Radio, and let's go Blues. Oh, man, that's a that's excellent. Um, it's You know, I hear this from guys like Tom, and, and I, I talk to people... Uh, the, the, I'm forgetting about the, the, the gentleman that uh, came from overseas to see a Stanley Cup final game. I've drawn a blank to where he was from and his name. Shame on me. But, uh, you know, you hear stories from these guys about how they can't watch the games. They they listen on the radio or they're checking their phone while they're uh, working. And it, uh, Ah, how do you do that? Ah, uh, ah. I mean, <laughs> game seven? I'm not kidding. If... if my kid, yeah, obviously there's an emergency, you know, something happens, but my kid's like, oh, you know, hey, I got a birthday party to go to. Guess what, kid? You're not going to the birthday party. Daddy's watching Game 7. You know, I mean, I, I am not missing Game 7. And the fact that this, I mean, I guess it's just how they live their lives, how they've, they've grown to, to be a Blues fan in that manner, that that's the only way they can do it. Oh, I just, I don't know how you do it. My, my, my heart would be in my... It'd be up in my throat all the time because I'm not watching the game. I don't know what's happening. It's I don't know how you do it, Tom. Oh, good for you for finding ways to remain a fan there in Kyoto. And and again, uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. We we really appreciate it. And um, again, it's just it's very humbling to think that uh, this gentleman over in Kyoto who's been around since uh, since day one, really. Uh, for the Blues, uh, is, is listening to our show over in Japan. So, uh, Tom, big hi to you and, uh, uh, thank you very much for writing in. Well, let's get to our guest of this episode. Today I interview, uh, Taylor Baird of Defending Big D, which again, I know I mentioned last, uh, show that I check out Blue Shirt Banner for the New York Rangers. 
defending Big D is another one. Part of it's because of their central division. Part of it's because I used to live in Dallas, so I found their blog while I was there and, and just kind of always randomly check them out whenever there's some stars news. So defendingbigd.com, that's uh, the letter D if you want to check them out. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I think they've uh, partnered or at least uh, chatted with some St. Louis Game Time people before. I know uh, they're part of the SB Nation as well. So Taylor is a managing editor for Defending Big D, and um, I kind of teased this at the end of uh, my last episode here. Uh, she's passionate, and I loved it. It made for an excellent conversation here. So you're going to hear a lot of passion here from Taylor. It was so passionate, and it got me so involved in the conversation that we didn't even talk about the 0-1 series uh, in the semifinal when the Blues swept the Stars. That didn't even come up. I didn't even realize it until after the, the conversation ended that we didn't even talk about it. And and it's it's shocking because my the best game I've ever attended was that year. It was game four. My dad took me and, and my friend Nathan to uh, uh, game four when the Blues swept the Stars. Chris Pronger scored late. Uh, they won that one four to one. I was uh, really wanting to talk to her about that series and, and how it was kind of like a, a, a turning of the tides for the Blues and the Stars, because before that, it was kind of like the Stars had owned the Blues. Now we're talking about the Blues winning the last three times these these two teams have met in the playoffs. But, you know, it, it, before that, it was just kind of, you know, you had the big four that people always talked about in the late 90s and early 2000s, the Red Wings, the the Avalanche, the Blues and the Stars. But it seemed like the Blues were always the bottom tier of that. You know, it was always Stars, Red Wings, Avalanche, and then the Blues. So for the Blues to win that series, it was just, ah, I remember how uplifting that was, even though they lost to the Avalanche the next round. But it was just, it's just funny I, I mentioned that because I really was like wanting to to talk about that with Taylor, but it just never came up. We, we started talking about the 16 series right away, and then it got into the 19 series. And it was just such a, a passion-fueled conversation that um, I, I didn't want to go back because it was, it was just so fun to talk to Taylor about this series. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to stop selling you on how great this conversation was. I'm just going to let you listen to it. Uh, here is my discussion with Taylor from Defending Big D. Today we are talking Dallas Stars on Let's Go Blues Radio Behind Enemy Lines, and I am joined by Taylor Baird, the managing editor of Defending Big D. If you've never checked out Defending Big D, they're a great resource for Dallas Stars hockey. Uh, one of the best there is. As, as some of you know, I used to live in Dallas, and uh, this was basically my number one source when I wanted anything, any news on the Stars. I still use them uh, because, obviously, they're in the same division as the Blues, so it does come in handy at times. Uh, all-time record for the Blues against the Minnesota North Stars slash Dallas Stars. It's uh, 291 games played. The Blues have a 135, 107, 43, and 6 record. That's six overtime losses, 43 ties. Uh, so since this is kind of a split between the North Stars and the Stars, which if you already listened to our Wild episode, we talked a lot about the North Stars. We're not going to do a lot of that here. But uh, we're gonna since it's the same franchise, we're going to go by a lot of the same statistics here. First St. Louis game versus the Minnesota North Stars was on October 11th, 1967. That was a 2-2 tie. That was Bob Plager's first game as a St. Louis Blue. 
So that's very important for Blues fans, as uh, Bob Plager is still the longstanding member of the St. Louis Blues. He had one assist in that game. Blues' first meeting with the Dallas Stars came on October 16th, 1993. That was a 4-0 loss for the Blues. The first penalty shot in St. Louis Blues history came against the Minnesota North Stars. Jimmy Roberts on uh, April 27th, 1968. It was actually in the playoffs. No goal, but the Blues did win that game 4-3 to three, and then obviously won that series to go on to their first Stanley Cup final. Uh, and then also, uh, just a couple more notes. I mean, there's been a lot of history, obviously, between these teams. Uh, May 3rd, 1968, Ron Schock scores a playoff overtime goal at 22:50 for a 2-1 St. Louis win to send the Blues to the Stanley Cup final in their first season. So that was when they won that series to go on to the final Ron Schock was the uh, the big scorer in that one. Uh, another big note, Mike Leute, his first start as a St. Louis Blue. That came on October 24th, 1979 in Minnesota. Five goals allowed on 29 shots in a 5-2 loss. And then also we mentioned the... Uh, we mentioned the first penalty shot. Also, the Blues' first penalty shot goal came against the Minnesota North Stars. Red Berenson on December 26th, 1970, and that was a tie in that game, 1-1. A lot of history between these teams. There's a lot of recent history that we are really going to, to, to get on. But, uh, Taylor, I want to introduce you to my crowd again, Taylor Baird of the Defending Big D blog. Uh, Taylor, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I I've already talked way too much, so you got to do the whole rest of the episode. Okay, perfect. So uh, the Dallas Stars are awesome, and here's why. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! The crowd is not going to like that. <laughs> um, Taylor. So as we've said, there's there's a lot of history here, a lot with the Minnesota North Stars. Um, I don't want to uh, to bog down our conversation too much with that, but. Um, lots of history here. I want to ask you before we get into it, um, what is the perception of the St. Louis Blues in Dallas? Is there a hatred there? Is there a friendly rivalry? What would you say it is? You know, it's, it's tough because when people talk about rivalries and who is a natural rival for Dallas, I feel like over the last maybe three, four or five years, it's been a lot more hatred towards Chicago um, than anything. And I think part of that is just because, you know, all of a sudden there was this proliferation of all of these uh, Blackhawks fans that (laughs) come and invade our arena. And we're like, where did you all come from? Because you weren't here before they started winning cups and now you're everywhere. Um, And then, and then also Dallas and Chicago have had some really incredible you know, just competitive games against each other, even though they haven't faced off in the playoffs, which I think is kind of hilarious that we hate them so much because of that, because that's where rivalries are supposed to be, be, I guess, defined. Um, But I do think that of late, and especially given the 16 series and given the series this year, I think that star fans are really just, they, they're ready to just, beat you guys into the ground during a playoff series so that they can get over it and then move on. Um, But I think that's the extent of like what people in Dallas really think of St. Louis, because to be honest with you, I think there's this perception that St. Louis hockey is boring, heavy hockey, and it's just a slog to watch. And, 
you know, we only do it because we play you guys in division. And then it's like, and now we can forget that you're, you even exist. I mean, (laughs) and let's be honest, you know, like St. Louis for the longest time, you know, up until this year, you guys have had that kind of, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride um, (laughs) kind of finish to the season each year. And every year it's like, Oh, this is going to be St. Louis's year. And then you kind of trail off or you don't make the playoffs or you're, goaltending implodes or whatever and I'm like oh hey just insert Dallas into all of that and basically we're the same so I think that in a lot of ways Stars fans are kind of also like hey we 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 know what that feels like and so we don't make fun of you all that much because we know what that feels like (laughs) yeah I was gonna say you're you're preaching to the choir with uh the talk of you know fading out and goaltending imploding (laughs) everyone listening to the show right now is Shaking their heads going, yeah, before this year, that was every yeah, season. Yeah, that was every season. And <laughs> Dallas has had their fair share as well. And honestly, a lot of it against you guys. So I think that, you know, I think there's the potential for a good rivalry um, with St. Louis, you know, as the two teams kind of continue this upward ascent into the tops of the Central Division. I do think that there's the potential that we're going to probably see you guys in the playoffs again. And you know, and like I said, playoffs is where rivalries are born. So I don't know. But for the longest time, I would say Anaheim was really the bane of Dallas's existence because of the 16 play or yeah, the 16 playoffs. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to talk hard. to you about that because because um, Dallas used to be in the Pacific Division. So doing that, that, you know, the progression over to the central, I'm sure was kind of odd. So would you say that that was the rival before they joined the Central? Was was Anaheim or L.A. or something like that? It was probably – well, I mean, it kind of depends on what what era you're kind of talking, right? Because in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was Detroit, Edmonton, of Colorado, course. right? Like, those were our big three um, that we always seemed to kind of go up against in the playoffs. And then – and then, like, and then, like you said, we went over to the Pacific, and we've had some really epic battles against San Jose, including like some ridiculous six overtime to get to the last time we appeared in the Western Conference Finals back in '08. So, I mean, when you wake up at two something in the morning because you fell asleep on the couch watching playoff hockey, that's how long the game was, and it was in the Pacific Division, so it didn't start until nine o'clock, nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. You wake up and you go, wow, they're still playing. And then the game ended at like three something in the morning. And you go, wow, now I can go to bed and go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I can go to work in three hours. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, so I think a lot of, so like, you know, I guess in, up until realignment happened, San Jose and Anaheim probably were kind of the two that were duking it out in terms of, I guess, what you consider rivalry. Although I will say that, because of Dallas's inconsistency with making the playoffs the last 10 years, it doesn't really feel like we have a true hatred for anyone. Um, You know, and I think a lot of that is because we spent a lot of that 10 years not making the playoffs or being even irrelevant when it comes to the league as a whole. So I think, you know, when, when teams don't respect you and you kind of don't respect yourselves because you're not making the playoffs, then, you know, it, it's kind of hard to be like, whoa, we don't like you guys. Cause I mean, wh- what leg do we have to stand on to right. say that? So, 
Yeah. No, I hear you. We, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Chicago and then obviously in the past Detroit, which everyone remembers those rivalries, the big four back in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s of Detroit, Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas. Um, and you talk about now how that rivalry kind of shifted to a hatred for the Blackhawks. It's funny because I've asked this of every Central Division rival of people that I've interviewed. Um, I've already talked to Nashville, which we will uh, that will air actually after this episode. And Minnesota's already aired. And I asked them that. And, of course, the answer was, well, it's Chicago. Chicago's our rival. So pretty much it just comes down to, because Blues fans would probably say the same thing, it just pretty much comes down to a hatred of the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it doesn't help that they won two cups, right? Like, obviously. It does not help that they have very punchable-looking dudes on their team. (laughs) Like, like Patrick Kane's face looks very punchable to me. Not that I could do it. I'm, I'm like, 5'2", so, like, there's no way. (laughs) Um, I mean, I basically have to stand on ladders to talk to these hockey players. But, but like, but, you know, but, so, like, they don't have a lot of likable guys on the team. Um, and then they won, and then, you know, the fans, their fans, though, I think is what has made it the worst, is they're so assholey, and I don't know how else to say it, but they come in, and they think that they're all that, and it's like, you do realize that your your games used to not ever actually be on TV, because <laughs> your owner wouldn't allow it, right? Like, you do realize where you once were, Um like at least with Dallas, like we recognize that we once were there, um, that we once did not draw well because our team, our team owner decided that it would be super great and fun to own Liverpool and then completely bankrupt himself with that endeavor, which did not go well. And then <laughs> as a result, he bankrupted the stars and the Texas Rangers and it took longer for the stars to get sold because he wanted to actually hold on to the stars franchise, which is a whole nother, like I could go forever on how bankruptcy went down because I was here and I was covering it. And, you know, I think the tough part for us was we used to be the pinnacle of hockey in a non-traditional market. We were the, the gold standard that everyone pointed to and said, hockey below the Mason Dixon line, it works. Look at Dallas. Um, and they still do very well in terms of corporate sponsorship and naming and, you know, things of that nature, all those other revenues. And then we've actually done pretty well selling lately, but Dallas has a late arriving crowd. So then when we're on national TV, everybody's like, where's everybody sitting? And it's like, they're stuck in traffic. I'm sorry that seven o'clock starts to work better for you, but they don't work better for us because right. it takes a million years to get anywhere in this city. And then also apparently we're like 46% more likely to get in accidents here. So, you know, go us. Um, and so oh, you're man. dealing with all of that, you know, again, preach it, preach into the choir, man. Um, when I, when I used to live off George Bush expressway, <laughs> holy cow, that they would rain and all of a sudden people forgot how to drive. Oh. Yeah, water water is in the air. Oh my god, I don't know how to drive. I must go five miles an hour. No, 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 you actually don't need to do that. And no, you don't need to slam on your brakes either when there's wetness on the ground anyway. Yes. <laughs> so that's a thing. Um, but no, yep. I mean, like, I do think that Dallas is on the rise. And I do believe that the on-ice product, you know, obviously 
has resulted in their off ice production as well. But, you know, it was kind of in those times where we're not making the playoffs and now the Blackhawks have won and now our arena is being taken over because you can sell the tickets at twice what you paid for them mm-hmm. because it's apparently much cheaper. I mean, Dallas in general has a cheap ticket. And so we end up in a situation where when the Maple Leafs come to town, it's, and I've, and I've talked to people and they have told me this, it is cheaper for them to fly to Dallas and stay for a weekend and buy tickets here than it is to buy tickets <laughs> in Toronto. And so we end up in a situation where we're so attractive in terms of cost and getting into the games that you get a lot of people who travel down here and they're just like, oh, yeah, I just decided to go watch my team because I can't watch them at home because I can't find tickets or I can't buy tickets or they're $300 for upper levels when, hell, $300 gets you on the glass in Dallas. <laughs> wow. Um yeah, no, I, I've heard that from from other people in Toronto as well. That uh, they basically just uh, they they basically can do whatever they want in terms of like, flying anywhere in the in the uh, North America to go see a game because they uh, <laughs> they they can't afford tickets in their own city, so they got to fly elsewhere. I know I know of some people who have uh, gone and seen uh, games in in Florida because it's so much cheaper for them to yeah. do that. It's crazy. Well, and then you get a little a little trip out of it. And I mean, hell, who wouldn't want to go to Florida? And I'm going to be honest with you. And anybody, any Blues fans listening, if you haven't made the trek down to Florida, I highly recommend it. But here's the key. You need to stay in Fort Lauderdale on the beach. Do not stay out in Sunrise, which is out in the middle of nowhere and has nothing around it. You stay in Fort Lauderdale. You stay on the beach. You have a nice little beach vacation with a little hockey on the side. It's an awesome trip. My girlfriends and I have done it three times. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, I highly so, recommend. <laughs> so as I said, there's there's a lot of history here between these two teams. And um, the, uh, the there's a lot that, that we could talk about. I actually, this is probably the first one of these interviews that I've done where literally every bullet point, every talking point that I sent to the other person was playoff hockey. So there is actually a ton of playoff meetings between these teams. We could go hours and hours and hours talking about some of these series. Uh, uh, And I don't want to do that because nobody wants to hear it. We don't want to do it. So let's just touch on the important ones. But I do want to run over a little bit some of uh, some bullet points before we get into the 16 playoffs, which is where I want to start our focus. Uh, 1994 playoffs. Blues and Stars did meet. This was, I believe, I could be wrong, Dallas's first year in, in Dallas, or Stars' first year in Dallas. Could be wrong there. But uh, they won their uh, they won the final two games in overtime. The Stars outscored the Blues 16-10, to 10, which is very close. But uh, obviously a four-game sweep is all that matters. Just goes to show how close the two teams were matched, even though it was a, uh, a 4 nothing sweep. Um, the, the Mike Madano scores eight points in the series. Blues' Brett Hall only has two goals and three points in the series. Uh, so that was the first meeting between these two teams with uh, the Stars playing in Dallas. Uh, 1999 was the next time, and this was important because Brett Hall uh, left the Blues that summer, joins the Stars, meets the Blues in the playoffs. And the Blues had just come off a big win 
against the uh, yeah Phoenix Coyotes at the time. Uh, he goes on. And then for, what happened? Yeah, we're going to get to that. Two goals, four assists in the series, uh, including an assist on Mike Madonna's overtime goal to clinch the series in uh, game six. And then obviously his first postseason goal actually came against the Blues in game one. Uh, so that was the first time he had scored against the Blues in the playoffs. So that one stung a little bit. But I want to talk to you uh, about what happened that year in the, uh, the, the with the Stars winning the Stanley Cup. Obviously, you mentioned hockey working in, in the southern state in the southern states. Dallas was the first pinnacle to prove that. Um, and hey, Stanley Cup championship. And what do you know? Brett Hall not only scores the Stanley Cup clinching goal, but does it in a pretty memorable fashion. What was that like for for people in Dallas to witness? I think I pretty much just summed up in it was good goal. Buffalo, please move on. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, still to this day, 20 years later, um, we still have Buffalo fans saying that our cup win is somehow less legitimate because it shouldn't have happened. But here's the thing that people forget or that Buffalo fans don't want to admit to themselves. Dallas won in game six. There's zero guarantee that had that goal not been allowed that A, they wouldn't have won the game anyway, or B, that you would have won and then gone on to win a game seven. So kind of irrelevant in terms of, oh, but what could have been? It wasn't a game seven. It wasn't a cup. It was cup deciding goal at the time, but it wasn't like it was the very end of the rope and it was winner take all at the very, very last, you know, seven overtimes game seven. So, yeah, uh, cool. All right. You didn't think that goal should have counted, but whatever, dude, because it did. And then also, that doesn't mean that our our cup win was any less than any others. Um, And then just, yeah, just move on, man. It's been 20 years, and the league has come out multiple times and said it was a good goal. And Brett Hull has a fantastic shirt that says (laughs) it was a good goal. Like, just get over it already. <laughs> like, go yeah. out and worry about getting your own. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. I hear you. No, that's uh, – it was funny because actually I have had somebody already on for Buffalo, and we talked about that goal, and I could tell his name's Chad. I could tell Chad was still a little uh, upset over it. So something I don't think Bru- or uh, Sabres fans will really ever get over. Yeah, which is fine, and I guess that's what being a fan is all about, right? But at the same time <laughs> – Yeah. It's been 20 years, but also – I'm sorry that it would happen in such a controversial controversial way, but it was a good goal. Right. <laughs> it just was. So and the and the goal call, you know, obviously was pretty fantastic, if I do say so myself. So um yeah, we we here in Dallas just kind of we just say, Hey, it was a good goal and we move right on along. Um, the goal call, was that the one where Gary Thorne said scores like eight times in a row? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> There's that one, and then there was also one by Ralph Strangis, which we, he was a longtime voice of the Dallas Stars, um, and he he had a pretty a pretty decent, uh, I, I believe it was a radio call of that, and about how the stars were shining bright in Texas, and you know I think that always kind of hits you. When I have heard Texas. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. I forgot about that call. That's a good one. Yeah. So uh, you know, I mean. 
for us, it's just, it's whatever, man. Like we we're we're cup winners. It's in the books. And he, you know, as far as we're concerned, we just think that Buffalo fans haven't had much else to hang their hats on in the last 20 years, which I mean, if you look at the state of Buffalo sports is kind of not that far fetched. So um, I think that maybe they just need something to like grasp onto. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. new. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do actually this... feel a little bad for them. I'm not going to lie. I do feel bad. Uh, Buffalo, like Buffalo hockey fans are fanatical and they are so supportive of their team. And I do think that it's, it's time for them to be rewarded for it. <laughs> oh, I agree. It, as a whole, I have always felt bad for Buffalo fans. And, um, but I will say, when you know, kind of jumping ahead to the Blues of the series here in 2019 against the uh, the Bruins, the uh, fa- the missed trip on Tyler Bozak, the anything else that they want to claim that happened in that series, um, I don't care, Boston. Just shut up. So I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> See, but then Dallas fans look at the series against you guys and say, well, if they had actually called the holding that happened on Zuccarello, who damn near scored anyway – then maybe this series actually would have been different and we would have had a completely different final this year. So, I mean, I think as fans, we all kind of look back and we say, well, if this had happened or this had, had occurred or they actually called this or this guy didn't punch the other guy in the face or whatever, we, you know, we all like to dream in the what could have been. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk on this show all the time that it's just, you know, people complain about calls, they complain about that kind of stuff going on. But really at the end of the day, for the most part, I think it evens out. I think that, you know, you look at the, the hand pass goal, the blues suffered against the sharks, you know, that was devastating. And and it was, Oh my God, they're going to lose the series. Now they came back, they won. And then, yeah, they got the, 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 the no call on Bozak in the Stanley cup final. I mean, it, it, most of these even out, the Bruins could sit there and complain about that. I think there's a couple hits that, that, that could have, gone the other way uh, in terms of player safety that they had. Uh, I think there was one against Carolina that wasn't called. Um, there's, it, it happens I to every hell- I just think it's really funny that you're talking about player safety when you guys literally shot a puck into our goaltender's face and he was writhing down on the ground and then you scored and it was counted. So yeah, don't come at me with player safety shit because you guys, you guys have benefited from that too. So going your way as well. Let's let's go ahead and talk about that play because I want, I was want, I put it in our notes. I want to talk about that. Um, What was your take on that? Like, especially right after it happened, what were your thoughts? Um, I honestly thought that Ben Bishop had broken his collarbone. That's what yeah. it looked like. It, and I and I think it was probably, you know, I think the thing I come back to is what if that had been two inches to the left and it had hit its windpipe? And what if we were actually talking in a very different scenario of a goaltender who couldn't breathe and was down on the ground? You cannot tell me that that then should have counted, right? Like, so even though it turned out not to be serious at that moment in time, I don't know how you look at that and say, oh, he's fine or he's trying to sell it. I think that he legitimately got hit in a space where the goaltenders do not have a lot of padding. And I think it probably knocked the wind out of him. And, Mm. you know, and like I said, if it had been two inches the other direction, maybe this is a completely different conversation. 
about player safety that should happen. But I also look at the fact that there's a goaltender who is down in a prone position where, I mean, let's be honest, what hap- what would have happened if the puck hadn't been elevated? What if the shot came off the heel or the toe just a little bit off and it never got the lift that it needed to go up and over him, but instead hit him while he was prone on the ground. I think that if that had been Bennington in that situation and the, and Dallas was the one that scored and benefited from it, Blues fans would call, would cause all sorts of hell and say that that is not fair and, and not right and should never have been called. And so I think from a, from a player safety perspective, I don't see how that one was allowed at all. Um, and I'm not saying, like, honestly, Dallas didn't deserve to win that game. We all know it. Um, they completely collapsed. It shook the team completely, and he and Bishop never should have been allowed to stay in after that shot. He probably should have been pulled for precautionary reasons anyway. But then he allowed the next, very next shot, and I think partly because he got bombed basically straight near the same place and – you know, I, I just – I don't see how you look at that play and think, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. But – So <laughs> let me ask me. you, where, where does the blame go? Does it go to the referees or does it go to the Blues? It goes to the referees because they were the ones that had the authority to make that kind of – like, it. the rules basically say if in the referees' opinions – the players in in a prone position or whatever, then they can they can wave the goal off. They can wave the goal off. They can blow, blow the play dead. I mean, I just I think I, well, I'll, that... I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you because I said the same thing. I I don't blame the Blues for continuing to play. I blame no. the referees for not blowing right. the play dead. A refer or a, a, exactly. a goalie, a player in a, in that position. It's not like he was in the corner away from the play. You know the puck's going to go right back to where he was. Referees right. should have blown the play dead. Exactly. And so, so no, I, I don't you. blame them, and I don't blame them for trying to take advantage of the fact that the goaltender just got totally shook up on a very similar shot, and then you do it all over again. Because, obviously, you find any weaknesses you can find in the playoffs you, to exploit, you do. But, you know, I think that there were probably – there were coaching decisions that I would have made differently if I were the one making the call, which obviously I'm not. Um, I would have pulled him anyway, regardless of what he said. Even, But it's easier to also say that because you've got Anton Kudobin who could go in and had been stellar for Dallas all season long, and so you, there's a com- comfort and confidence there. Whereas like, if you look at 2016 in that series – with Niemi and Lutnin, it was basically like playing hot potato on which one was going to collapse today. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that it, like with that context, I would have probably played it differently this season in that play. I would have just pulled them all together, even if he said, oh, no, I'm fine. But, I mean, it's tough when you've got a Vezina caliber goaltender saying, I'm good to go. It's kind of hard to argue. Um Well, the fact that that Bishop has had injury problems in the past, even this past season, and, you know, he's the type of guy that probably knows when he can't go. So when he says, I'm fine, I'm going to stay in, you got to trust the guy. So it's it's tough. It's definitely tough, but I'm with you. I think that if I'm Jim Montgomery, I'm probably just saying, you know what? It's a 3-1 game. 
Let's just, just let's get you rested for next game. Rewrite for next time. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but you know, and then at the same time, like that was just one game in the series. Dallas came out and actually had the series lead. They had control. They had every opportunity in the world to end that series in game six. Yes, they did. And they did not. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you didn't show up for game six. And, I mean, that was tough to take to your home fans because they're like, what is this? And I'm sitting there in the post game going, dude, coach, what happened? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Monty's kind of like, you know, the guys, they they wanted it so badly, um, you know, and so many of our core remember this 16 series and how that happened. Um, they wanted it so badly and they wanted it so badly for their home fans that it was almost like they, they kind of got away from the system. And so there was too much kind of, um, kind of free agent, uh, free agent, uh, or independent maneuvering out there. And so they, so they ended up just kind of not playing as a unit, which is obviously the worst thing to do in a team sport. So, right. <laughs> You know, I mean, like, so they did, they did it to themselves. And let's be honest, like, I think that the fact that game seven against St. Louis and Dallas, it went into overtime. Bishop was playing out of this world. If anything, I feel like he deserved better. Not necessarily the Dallas Stars as a whole, but Ben Bishop deserves so much better than he got. Oh, I'll agree with you 100%. I mean, I was obviously happy with the result, but I kept watching that game and and just thinking, Ben Bishop deserves this more than anybody on the ice. Anyone in the arena, he deserves this. Because he played his ass off, but the the Stars just just could not score a goal for him. And and that is the unfortunate downside. And and I think, you know, it's it's very curious because – when we go back and we look at the 16 series, right? Dallas was, you know, we're going to outscore you and outscore ourselves because we don't know how to defense and we don't got the goaltending. So we're going to try to win every game 7 6 or 6 5. And we're happy with that because, hey, we can score all of the goals. And then, and then it's funny to see how, how quickly they changed about three years later where it was much more defensive minded. Um, and I think that part of that is uh, a result of roster construction in the, in the sense that Dallas had no scoring depth to speak of, like, at all. Um, <laughs> and then also, you know, it's also partly the fact that they, they finally had some good defenders on the team. John Klingberg is there. Issa Lindell is there. Miro Haskinen is the godsend from above, and I love him already. <laughs> um, you know, so, like, they finally had good good defensemen that they could actually play a style that played to that strength. I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, going into this season, into this offseason, everybody, you know, all the pundits and everybody is talking about how Dallas needs to improve their defense, and I'm like, they were the second-best team in the in the league during the regular season. What? Oh, Okay, sure. Yeah. Let's go ahead and improve to what one. Like, I mean, the only reason why they lost out on the Jennings Trophy altogether was because the defense in front of the team imploded in the second to the last regular season game, and they were like, right. eh, "Well, 
you know, pressure's off to win that one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I'll admit, I mean, you talk about comparing the two teams between 16 and 19. I remember going into the 19 series and and just this this instant thought of, well, the, the, the Stars' defense is terrible because, you know, 16 wasn't that long ago. But then you start looking at the lineup and you look at the numbers they put up with the regular season and you're just, whoa, they're stacked defensively in three years' time. They have completely reworked that defense, and they're scary now. Not only are they good defensively, and they've got guys out front that like to block shots from the point, but their structure under Jim uh, Jim Montgomery has been great all season. And then you look at some of the guys that can jump up and score. You mentioned Heisken and Lindell. Well, Lindell's not much of a score, but he can carry the play. And these guys, Actually, John it's... Klingberg, they're scary. It's funny you mentioned Lindell's not a score because he actually set a career high this year in goals and points. Um, and what was interesting oh, wow. was, yeah, what was interesting was, and it didn't happen until later in the season, and then it kind of continued through the playoffs, was they actually changed their power play structure, and they started playing Lindell as a rover in front of the net. So he became kind of a net front guy. Um, which is really weird because you don't see defensemen playing that spot like ever. Um, and so, but because Haskinen has the ability to cover for anybody on the ice with him, I mean, like he's 19 years old and plays with a poise and an experience that completely is beyond his actual experience at the NHL level. Um, and the fact that he was left off 38 Calder votes like is just completely mind boggling and just shows that Montreal needs to watch Dallas a little more. Um, but, <laughs> but like, but because of, because of his ability to do that, you were able to run a power play set where you didn't have to have two defenders on the points. It's not a standard umbrella shape anymore. They were able to kind of have a winger that kind of floated over and covered that point. Um, but Haskinen was really the one that kind of worked it up top. And then you've got Lindell there in the middle. And then all of a sudden it's bang, bang. And before you know it, he's right there and he tips one straight past your center. And you go, but where did he come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> because he's not supposed to be there. Um, yeah. We, it's so funny because like there, there was an episode yeah, that we were doing where, where I was uh, speaking with somebody over Twitter and they mentioned something about how Lindell is, is such a tough forward in front of the net. And I'm like, He's a defenseman. They just have him moving in front. And really? He's a defenseman? Yeah, he's quite a good defenseman, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is and he isn't. Lindell is a really funny. Um, I think he's kind of the the standard for when the eye test and the analytics do not match. Um, because if you watch Lindell, he's actually very good at closing gaps and and, you know, making sure that lanes are kind of covered and, and deflecting sticks up and everything else to try to prevent plays from even happening. But his statistics, because he doesn't move the puck well, um, which I argue is kind of um, both maybe a little bit of him, but also the fact that he plays with Klingberg, who is elite mm. at carrying the puck out of the zone. So why does Lindell need to? He right. He doesn't because – 
if given the option, I'm giving it to Klingberg every single time. Right. Much like Lindell does. So, like, I mean, anyway. But, yeah, he's a fascinating case because his, his, his statistics basically put him as one of the worst defensemen in the league. But yet, him and Klingberg are so symbiotic and the two are so comfortable with each other and they can they can cover for each other's weaknesses that it actually ends up being a fairly good defensive pairing for Dallas. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I actually uh, was very impressed. I, as I said, I looked up Lindell's stats and, and thought, oh, you know, he looks pretty good. And uh, I'd watched him a little bit throughout the year, obviously, you know, with the Blues playing him and then just off nights for Blues games, catching Central Division teams and thought, okay, he's pretty good, uh, you know, but you know, there was, uh, there was a lot with, with Lindell with Blues fans, and I, you probably know what I'm getting at. A lot of talks of diving with Lindell. Uh, diving. Let me you ask know, you about that. That's so funny. That's so funny because legitimately, I've never seen Lindell dive before that game, ever. And I've been <laughs> watching him his whole career, his three, two, three seasons with Dallas so far. I've never once seen him do that. Um, I think that what a lot of people don't want to admit or don't want to contextualize with what happened there was the fact that St. Louis was getting away with absolute freaking murder when it came to, <laughs> when it came to calls. Like, you're not, I mean, legitimately honest, like no, I don't. had a lot of times where holding, slashing, you know, hooking, tripping, whatever, just was like, Oh no. That wasn't a penalty, and then Dallas does it, and it's like, yep, you're off the ice, and it's like, what are y'all doing? How are you calling this evenly? Uh, hint, you're not. Um, and then, <laughs> and so I think what what came of that was the fact that so many players were then almost kind of they fell right into St. Louis's trap, right? They they decided to try to oversell calls to make a point that they were not getting called. They were not getting power play opportunities. Um, <laughs> and then and then he got busted for overselling one. But then at the same time, after getting cross-checked in the back four times in a row, I think I'd probably oversell it too. <laughs> and by I mean, Robert Bertuzzo, who is a big man. Yeah, Lindell is not – Lindell may be tall, but he is not a big guy. He's actually quite slim – um, he's got that very European <laughs> style about him, much like right. John Klingberg is not a very large human being, although he's very tall. Um, but they're not big guys, you know. They're they're built more for speediness and sneakiness than than I'm going to brush you over. Um, so so yeah, I mean, did he sell it? Sure, he absolutely did. But it's not like he's some diver and and now needs to hold that label for the rest of his career because hint he's not um and then also i think that it completely discounts the context of exactly what happened that led up to that and lets st louis completely off the hook and then it's like well no but yeah well did you see your guy because he did the same thing actually Right after Linda then got up and cross-checked him, and then all of a sudden he was shot like he'd been killed on that. So, like, I mean, you know, like, it was not a good look on either team, that sequence. I agree. In my opinion. I agree. Um, And so, like, somehow Lindell comes out of this, like, the villain, and I am kind of shocked that that's the case because it really should be both of them. Um, mm. 
but you know, sure. Okay. But the, the context of what happened leading up to that, I feel like is really important. Um, it's it's Linda- funny to hear you talk about like how, um, you know, stars fans are, are, you know, we're kind of complaining the calls weren't going their way, which, you know, I can see, I completely see I'm a pretty subjective fan and I, I saw it myself. And it's just funny because go two series later for the blues this is exactly how blues fans sounded going against the Bruins. It was, well, we get called on everything and the Bruins are getting away with murder. And it was, you know, no, I mean, yeah, that might be the case. Maybe you feel that way game to game, but you know, there was a lot of stupid shit the blues were doing too. I mean, they, there was uh the cross check. I remember on David Backus by Joel Edmondson in game one against the Bruins. And it was people were, Oh, back is dope. Yeah, well, Joel Edmondson probably shouldn't be punching him or, or cross-checking him in the face during play, you know? Like, so it's just funny to hear right, the other exactly. side of it. Like, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. Last time I remember checked, you know, like we were all we all grew up being taught that, right? So I mean, it one doesn't necessarily give the other the the ability to be off the hook completely, but you know, it's funny because I think the thing that was so different for Stars fans is the Nashville series that Dallas had just played in the first round um, was actually fairly even um, in the sense that there were games where Dallas was called for a lot and then there were games where Nashville was called for everything and it and then there were games where both sides were <laughs> the conga line straight to the man advantage. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, and so for it to then go to an, a, a series where it felt like it was so one-sided and I and I do think and I haven't looked it up because I'm gonna be honest with you it still stings a little bit and I'm not <laughs> ready to relive the series but if I remember correctly the power play opportunities for St. Louis far outnumbered the ones for Dallas and I do think that if you're saying over time it all even out that's how it ended up in the Nashville series. The Nashville and Dallas had, I mean, I'm not going to say equal because it wasn't even, but I do think Dallas had a bit of an advantage, but you know, when, if it's that starkly different, you do have to start to look at it and say, but was it actually evenly called? Cause it's not like Dallas wasn't doing things. They were, they were the ones getting caught doing it, but you also can't tell me that St. Louis wasn't doing things. It's just that it seemed like in that series they weren't getting caught for it. And then when they go to Boston, it's like, yeah, now you're getting called for all of the things you should have been called for. <laughs> yeah, that's along. probably true. You know, like, and that's, I think, what the that's difference is. That's probably true. I mean, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> there was definitely a lot of stuff going in, in Boston that the Blues would get called for. And I thought I would even think that. I'm like, well, I remember a hit in the last series against San Jose. That exact play didn't get penalized for the Blues. But then it's like, well, you can't really use that as a barometer because – Maybe that actually is. Maybe that should have been called. And it was the call was wrong in San right. Jose for not making the call. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a slippery slope. Well, that's a tough part too, right? We always talk about how the rules seem to change in the playoffs. Yep. But then it seems like the rules change between series too. Yep. And yep. so it's on the players and it's on the team to recognize okay, we were doing X and not getting called for it. Now we're still doing X and getting called for it. Maybe we need to stop doing X. Yep. You know, like, it's on them to recognize when it's not going to be called the same and to make those in, in-game adjustments. Um, and so, I, you know, at the end of the day, 
the 2019 series was what it was, right? It came down to two very evenly, in my mind, teams going against each other. And to me, I felt like the Dallas-St. Louis series was probably one of the better in the West. Agreed. In the, uh, of the whole playoffs. Like, that yeah. could have been Western Conference final matchup. Yeah, I agree. I, I was impressed with that series a lot. I, I Let me ask you this. So you mentioned that that was such a good series, and I think we all knew that was going to be a good series. There were two teams going into the playoffs that I did not want the Blues to play. We talked about it on this show, the Winnipeg Jets and the Dallas Stars. We thought the Jets, they're too scary. They, they, they have way too much offense. They've got the goalie. They've got the defense. The Blues do not match up well with the Stars. You know what? Let's just hope we don't see either of them. Bing, bang, boom. You get them in round one and get them in round two. For the Stars, who was it that you going into the playoffs were saying, okay, I don't, I don't want to play that team? You know, honestly, and this is going to probably, it may or may, some, some Stars fans will be upset when I say this, but I was actually really hoping to slip into the second wildcard spot and play on the Pacific side of the division because I had a strong belief that Dallas would have beat any team out, out in the Pacific. Agreed. Um, and so, to me, I was like, give me that road. I, I'm not afraid of Vegas. I'm not afraid of Winnipeg or uh, San Jose. You know, I, like, I'm all in. Let's go. Let's go Pacific. Um, but then Colorado got that. And, you know, and it's like, I wasn't afraid of the Flames. I wasn't afraid of of any of those, you know, and honestly, I wasn't even afraid of Winnipeg because they had been doing so poorly, um, you know, down the stretch. And I was like, I just don't know if they're going to be able to flip that switch and put it all together again. To me, the two teams that were really scary that I thought Dallas had the least likelihood to beat were St. Louis and Colorado. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't even, like, I don't know. It was It's hard to describe, but walking into game six against Nashville, walking into the home arena um, with the ability to clinch the series on home ice, I just – there was a sense of calmness for me, and it was like, we're coming out of this and we're winning today. Like, I, there was not a doubt in my mind that we were going to win that game. Um, <laughs> they did it in a very uh, – stylish fashion nice little overtime to get the get the heart running um but there was a confidence that I felt because I I just felt like Dallas had the defensive depth and structure to outplay a more freewheeling Nashville I can see that uh Nashville was the one that we wanted to play because uh seemed like the Blues always matched up well with them uh there was just a weird like you know, you talk about matchups all the time in this league, and it just seemed like for whatever reason the Blues had this, the the Predators number. And uh, you know, Pecorino in the past was a Blues killer, but of recent years the Blues have been able to put a lot of goals on them, and uh, they they found ways to get around. Well, PK Subban, who's not in the division anymore, he just kind of seemed like a a guy that uh, the Blues could rile up pretty easily to take stupid penalties. And then uh, Roman Yossi was really the only, uh, and and uh, uh, Ryan Ellis were two guys that were really tough to play against, but uh, it just seemed like the Blues knew how to shut them down. So Nashville was not any, I don't want to say it wasn't of any concern to us, but that was who the Blues, I think, even the players were probably saying, 
yeah, let's have a first round matchup with these guys and, and take them out in five or six games and move forward. And let's just hope we don't see Dallas. And uh, it's funny <laughs> to hear that the Stars actually, uh, well, these Stars fans probably didn't want to play the Blues either. No. And, you know, and it's funny you, you say that about having numbers. So last year, or for the last couple of seasons, Winnipeg has just completely dominated Dallas. And then um, I think it was like our second or third game of the season. Uh, we played Winnipeg at home and we stomped them five, nothing. And I was mm. just like, this is our year. We've got Winnipeg's number this year. And so that's why I was, I wasn't afraid of them heading into the playoffs. Cause I'm like, we've got this, like, there's no question in my mind that we can beat Winnipeg in a seven game series. Um, you know, but also having the great equalizer of a Vesna goaltender can uh, give you a lot of confidence in a lot of ways. That's true. <laughs> so, That's true. Yeah, same know, thing with a rookie and, and with a rookie phenom. You feel the same way. And I mean, we all have to admit that Bennington's probably coming back down to earth in a full season, right? I would think, I mean, that's, that's kind of the conversation here right now. Cause that's, that's what makes it so hard with him being a restricted free agent is, you know, what do you sign him to? Because, you know, yeah, we're not saying he's not going to be a starting goalie. He very well could, could have a very good career, but he's not going to play the way he played. I mean, it'd be ridiculous to ask that of him, especially uh, there, some of the playoff games, you know, every, he was 13 and two, I think after losses, I mean, that's crazy. You can't ask that of any goalie. So mm-hmm. it's it will be interesting to see what contract he gets and, and how he does over a full season. Yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted to ask you, going I mean, into – oh. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I bet from, from y'all's perspective, you probably kind of actually do want to see a little bit of a regression. Maybe not like a – like, don't get hit hard by it, but maybe see him regress a little bit so that you can continue to kind of uh, cost control him for a little while longer. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, we're with you. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, obviously the, the blues, it's funny, you know, we're recording this here on uh, July 2nd. So uh, free agent frenzy is, as I guess, just about over as I think there's only like one or two signings today, but uh, the stars, there were and... 10. 10 signings today. I'm way off. Holy cow. There were 10 um... <laughs> according to cat friendly, but I mean, there, but the, those are like, I mean, I probably couldn't tell you a single – no, I could tell you one name, and it was Dalton yeah. Prout, and that's only because I know the name Dalton sticks out to me. Um, but I probably couldn't tell you who – Yeah, that was that was the one that I noticed, so it's kind of funny you bring that one up. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, Free Agent Frenzy was yesterday, and, and it's just funny because, you know, you see Blues I, – I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, and I'm sure that when we have our next live show, we'll probably talk about it too – how with Blues fans, you know, every July 1st, it's why aren't we active? Why aren't we doing anything? Well, now with the Blues being the Stanley Cup champs, it was kind of like, hey, go ahead and sit on your hands. You know, we, we know what we've got in this team. We're the best in the Central. And and I'm not bragging, but, you know, that's just that's that's the perception. And then you look at how Nashville goes out and gets Matt Duchesne. Uh, then, then Dallas goes out and gets Joe Pavelski and a couple other uh, key pieces, Corey Perry, and, and Minnesota's making changes. And all these teams, it's it's just Colorado even, makes a trade to get Nazem Kadri. And you're looking at it and you're saying, whoa. And for a Blues fan, it's these teams are trying to keep up with the Blues. Is that how you feel with maybe the uh, the, the moves that the Stars made uh, in the last day? 
No, and here's why. Um, I don't think that it's trying to keep up with whoever happens to be on top of the Central that, that year. I think that it's been like this for years now. Right. The Central Division has been a complete arms race. It's who can be, who can do the best um, off-season moves to position themselves to take over the top of the Central. But I think a lot of it is just we've got to be able to make it through our schedule. Because right. the Central Division has has been for years and years now one of the most competitive, not, last year notwithstanding, because I think last year was just an all-around crapshoot in the Central. But, I mean, at, you know, at, at, and we still sent five teams to the playoffs. So, like, right. okay, sure, yeah, it was down here. Cool. Um, maybe if, you know, the Arizona, Vancouver, Edmonton, uh, you know, and whoever else. I'm like, who am I forgetting out there? Um, contingent weren't as bad as they were. And therefore the Pacific division top three can just feast on them in their, in their divisional games. Um, there wouldn't be quite as much of a divide in that division. And maybe we would have a little bit more competitiveness, but we don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the central division to me is always the fight to see who can be fourth best, because as long as you're fourth best in, or fifth best in the central you're probably making the playoffs because it's automatically going to make you better than the bottom three or four in the Pacific. Right. That's true. No, that's a good point. Been. I don't think that it's necessarily keeping up with any one. I think it's keeping up with all. It's Well, we know Minnesota's trying to retool, although let's be honest here for just for a second. I don't know what Minnesota's whole um, position is or what plan they're doing because it doesn't make sense. I'm with you. Like, at all. Whatever you're doing up there, I mean, sure. Okay, let's go ahead and try. See how it works. But I still, I think, after even all their changes, I would put them as maybe the fifth best in the, in the central at most. Yeah, I agree. I'm not, uh, I'm not very impressed. I think Chicago's done a pretty good job of bolstering their team as much as they can under their salary cap problems. And I look at, uh, you know, obviously Dallas is doing a great job getting Joe Pavelski's huge um, and then even Corey Perry at the contract they signed him to is, is good. Nashville's doing great. Colorado's doing great things. Blues, obviously. Stan and Pat doing good things. I look at Minnesota and I say, what's the plan? What what, what are you doing here? Like, what's, what's your goal going forward? <laughs> and, like, I mean, probably in a normal division, what they've done may actually do well. But, I mean, when you see the rest of your division getting that much better – I mean, it's tough to say, oh, yeah, we did great, and we're going to be able to keep up with these guys. I mean, I think at this point, you know, based on conversations I've had with others who cover the league for other SB Nation blogs, they pretty much told me they were like, the Central is, like, it's it's race between Dallas, Colorado, and St. Louis at this point. I think like, so, too. It's, it's between you three. It's going to be a battle to see who wins out. Um, and I do think that, the you know, the gap is – so slim between like those three teams, Nashville. Uh, I mean, I just, I don't see how Chicago has done enough to overstep two or three of those teams. I don't know if Minnesota's done enough to keep up. And so, I, agree. I mean, I think what the central teams need to really be worried about is did Arizona improve enough? Did you know, how's Vegas going to do after having to shed cap space this year? Um, 
you know, like, are we going to end up with a team that's actually going to going to challenge for a wild card spot this season? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it just, you know what? Just let let Blues fans have it. Just say everyone's trying to keep up with them. Can you just? I'm I'm going to edit that all no, everything out you just no. said, and that's what I'm going to say. No, no. T- you guys got Taylor agrees because you don't get any other shit as far as. I'm <laughs> uh taylor this was uh this was awesome i appreciate you coming on um well again i have to have you on uh in, in the future for a future episode when the blues and stars face off hopefully we'll see another playoff series here soon because that first one or that last one was very thrilling um but i want to ask you uh how people can find defending big d uh where they can read your stuff and then of course how they can interact with you on social media Absolutely. Um, you can find us on DefendingBigD.com. Um, we're a member of the SB Nation family, um, so you can also access us there. And then on Twitter, at DefendingBigD. And then for myself, I am at Taylor D for Diane Baird, so Taylor D. Baird. Um, and you can find me online. I have a very lovely headshot of me uh, with football field in the background because in my real life, I actually work in sports consulting. Um, so I do this on the side, so I'm all sports all the time. Uh, if you want good cat pictures or random, uh, (laughs) sports thoughts, and then occasionally a rant against the man, because I am a woman in this day and age, um, (laughs) please feel free to, to hit me with a follow or, uh, you know, touch base with me. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Awesome. Well, Taylor, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, I again, want to thank Taylor for coming on. Uh, she was an awesome guest, always fun. And, and again, Defending Big D, great stuff. If you haven't checked them out, uh, an SB Nation blog, they do a great job over there. Twitter handles for the show, our show Twitter at LGB Radio. Stay tuned there for uh, any news. And, and I should mention, too, if you're on Instagram, we're also there at LGB Radio. Facebook, you can find us if you search Let's Go Blues. Um, if you're my friend on Facebook, uh, you can, uh, I, I'm usually sharing the shows on there so you can find us there. Uh, don't mention that enough. So yeah, check us out. We're all over social media. Of course, we're on YouTube as well, which is where you'll find our live shows, which we'll get to in a minute. Kurt Price, uh, is at Kurt Price. Uh, that's Kurt with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder is at Ponder 94 Next episode will be Monday, July 29th. Matt Estevez of Raw Charge, an SB Nation blog as well. Uh, We're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Great stuff from Matt there as well. Uh, We talk about the the Blues' domination this year of the Lightning. Uh, They went 2-0 against them, so kind of fun to to talk to somebody who kind of witnessed a lot of history with his team this year and then have the Blues come in and and beat them both games. Uh, And the reason that I said earlier that we're going to have a little bit on uh, our live shows so the 200th episode is coming up, and uh, it's going to be early August. We don't have a date set yet, but uh, obviously next week we will have a show on July 29th. Uh, August 1st, we'll have the Calgary Flames episode with Dan Stevenson of the Fireside Chat. Uh, but then after that episode, uh, if you've seen my schedule that I've posted for the, the summer shows, it might be changing that next week because that, that uh, next show, which is slated to be the New York Islanders, uh, that is going to be our 200th episode. So I think we're going to do a live show. Uh, so we'll do the live show, and then we will continue back with the 
Behind Enemy Lines series. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, again, just follow us on social media. We'll let you know. Uh, it'd be fun to have a little live show here in the middle of the summer, dead of summer. Uh, kind of just a, a fun little discussion about you know the Blues' year, what we're expecting next year. And, of course, we welcome listener participation. So uh, live shows we usually record at about 9 o'clock, 9.15. Um, again, it'll be that first week in August. We just don't have a date yet, but uh, I will announce it on here as well as on social media. So make sure you follow us for that. So again, I want to thank Taylor for coming on. Uh, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, let's go blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the hockey show blues report of the week. Have a great day. Rolling with the